Life, whether you like it or not, happens to everyone. We don't get to choose our testimony, but we are called to share the journey. Hi, everybody. I'm BJ Foster, and this is Withholding Nothing, a podcast for the soul. Let's do this thing. In this week's episode, meet Paul Parson. Paul, who once himself was an incredible gang member, recruited by the OG, as he says, because he was desperately in search of family, found himself on the brink of death as he tried to escape the clutches of a gang. We call this episode, Hey, I Just Want to Live, Withholding Nothing, a podcast for the soul. When I was three years old, my dad passed away. He uh, he was in the Navy. He used to work in the boats, shipping back and forth between countries. Mm-hmm. He met my wife, my mom in California, in Los Angeles, and uh, she was a model at the time. And he was he worked in the ships. They had an encounter shortly after. Hello, I pop up. <laughs> and um, about two years later, my dad developed skin cancer and he had passed away. My mom was devastated. Right. She was just broken, just torn apart. We moved out here shortly after I turned four years old in Tucson, Arizona, and just being brokenhearted, you know, not being able to move move forward with our lives. Right. You know, me as a child, you know, I have uh, sisters from my mom's side of the family. I was uh, maybe five, six, I believe, where they uh, turned 18 and just took off. Mm-hmm. They were done. They just were waiting for that moment. And it was my mom, myself, and I. And I remember growing up, really abusive home. In Mexico, we have these cintos, these belts, right. the vaquero cintos, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Metal buckle with metal stubs. Mm. Anything I did to trigger anything, I used to get that. Dishes thrown at me, I had a couple of dishes throw, uh, broken in my back. I remember it as, as Crystal's day. Things like that because of her anger. Right. So the spirit of anger, of defeat, of, of grieving, right? Not yeah. being able to move forward and, yeah. and not knowing Christ at that moment. She grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. I went to a Catholic church twice. I just remember, you know, going and, and seeking God, you know, and, and for what I knew who was God. Right. And having no peace, having no rest, you know, at home. And it came to a stage where my mom would party in and out. That was the only way that she found temporary relief. Mm-hmm. And we'll have parties every weekend. She would come home from work, six, seven p.m., five sometimes. I'll get out of school. Back in the day when school used to get off at 1.15 p.m., <laughs> you know, not 3.10. And then uh, third grade, key to the house, second grade, the key to the house, walking home. I lived right in front of the school. Right. The crosswalk lady used to just, you know, watch me go inside the house and just wait for my mom. I remember my mom used to um, come home from work and I eat once a day, I eat whatever's at school and then she'll bring me a meal from the restaurant, which was her meal, so she wouldn't even eat, just so I can eat. And she would walk to the door and be just stumbling drunk, throwing up everywhere, you know, at times. And um, sometimes, you know, I would say 50-50, she would walk to the door and um, just start yelling. You know, did you clean the house? Did you mop? Did you sweep? Did you do the dishes that you dirty? Because you eat all the time. That you do your homework. Let me see your homework. One little thing I did wrong was a beating, big, severe beating. And um, 
At times, she would just throw up. She would walk in, running inside the house, trying to go to the bathroom and mm -hmm. just throw up all over me. I remember I'd be like, hi, ma, you know, hola, ma, como te fue? You know, how you doing? How's your day? And running towards her and then, you know, down my face, my hair. Wow. I remember just thinking, my mom is sick. You know, she's always so sick. I would take her to the bathroom. You know, she would I'd be at the blackout stage already. Her when your eyes are kind of like just fluttering, rolling back. And mm -hmm. I'll clean her off the best I could. Take off her shirt, her pants, lay her down, cover her. You know, as a kid, right? Six, seven, eight. Clean up the house, shower, and go back to watching Power Rangers of Batman in a dark house by myself. No friends, no family, nothing. Just myself. And I just, most positive thing I can think, you know? Oh, she's sick. I hope she gets better. Um, it's okay, you know what I mean? We're gonna go play sometime, we're gonna hang out. Right. It happened occasionally when she was sober. It's usually when she we were flatline broke, broke and the restaurant wouldn't give her alcohol or nothing. And I was grateful for those times. And one thing that I, that I noticed that led me to my addiction at eight years old, that was an alcoholic at eight. Mm -hmm. I used to see the beer bottles laying around, right? Just laying around the counters, the table, botellas de Jose Cuervo, Bacanora, which is Mexican moonshine, mm -hmm. just everywhere. And to me, it was a norm, you know, the word of God says to teach our children, you know, in the way they should go so they don't depart from it. Right. But what was I learning? Mm -hmm. Drinking, cigarettes. I started to pick up on that. It's normal. I'm thirsty. Instead of getting sink water, I'm going to get one of the beers. Like my mom does. It's 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 a soda. Right. It's like a Sprite. Right. You know, we learn habits like that. I used to drink it. And I remember I did not like it. It would make me burp all the time. It was disgusting. And I'll drink like the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And it would burn my throat. And it would be like hurting and pain for a couple of days. Or scratchy. I would cough all the time. School thought I was sick all the time. And that's when I started experiencing getting drunk at eight years old and to me my mom never noticed really when the when the bottles were would be low because to her oh i must have drank a lot last night right. when the beers sometimes i'll get beat because she would notice certain things you know certain beers laying around because i would get drunk and i'll fall asleep mm -hmm. and i got sucked in deeper and deeper into addiction and alcohol and i remember just feeling really sick feeling like my skin was turning red until I started learning the side effects of alcoholism and the withdrawals and I started getting really angry all the time and and I don't know that I was so so depressed but I would cry for no reason my emotions would be fluctuating all over the place and I remember that it felt like something was yanking me from within my body my like like my soul was twisting and you know straining or, or, or just getting rid of the water from a towel and it was painful mm. then I would slow down and I thought that if I smoked, it would go away because every time my mom drank, she would smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So I'll go in the backyard, I'll get dried grass because it's Arizona, our normal day is 104, right? <laughs> and I'll crumble it or just get it and get a piece of paper for my notebook and I would roll it up. I would roll it up and I would even lick it, but it wouldn't stick. So right. tape it and I would smoke it. So who knows, man, I got a, uh, man, I got a farm of grass probably, you know, that I smoked and, and thinking that it would help me, but it would make me sick. And I'll throw up and just feel nasty. And I'll go to sleep because that's what my mom does. And wake up feeling worse, go to school. And I love school. Shortly after that, you know, it was a continuous cycle. The parties got longer. I remember my mom tried to find um, love in other men. And they would come to the house. I would be in my room sleeping or hanging out. And I would hear things. I would see things. There will be the women, you know, that will come to the parties. And the men that would, you know, utilize our rooms, you know, no explanation needed. 
With that being said, I see my mom as well. She had a relationship with this man, which they're really good friends now. And you know, I mean, everything's straight. Right. He would beat her. He would beat her. And I, I remember I tried to run to my mom and I would grab her and, you know, turn around and try to like shelter her. You know, me at that point being like 10, 11, trying to fight back, but you know, getting smacked and never oh, close fisted punched, but I would get beat with her. And I remember, uh, this one time where we were both, we both got smacked really hard. My mom went flying, hit her head, you know, bruised face. I got backhanded across the head this way. And we were both backs behind the wall. My mom was like, you know, curled up with me, you know what I mean? And and I'll be trying to like be brave for her, but I was afraid. And we would, we locked ourselves into this room because we ran in there and mm -hmm. he was banging on the door. Abre la puerta. Abre la puerta, vamos a morir todos. We're all gonna die. Open the door. And my mom crying and, and me, leave, leave. But in Spanish, largate, vete, vete. Déjanos en paz. And, and just crying and so afraid that I was gonna die. Right. I uh, legitly believed being nine, 10 years old that I was going to die uh, with my mom. And, and my mom's like, it's okay, Polito, todo bien, you know, just he'll go away and eventually it will stop. And we would sleep there and I wouldn't go to school and my mom would make the brave effort because we had two doors mm -hmm. to go out the side to see if he was there or sleeping in the couch at times. At times he would leave door open in the front door and then we'll have a breather for a couple hours until he was sober up. And what happened? That was his first question. Many times um, he knew what happened. I started getting involved at that point more socially with people in school, the community. And that's when I got introduced to the OG of the uh, the gang I used to be a part of, you know. And um, I believe that was at age 12 that I started talking to this OG, which is the leader of this, of this gang, right? There was a nasty gang war. That was back in the times where gang members used to walk the streets, red, blue, or brown, mm -hmm. back and forth in groups. And it's not for the street. It's for the business happening in the street. That's why thugs want to take over territory. Right. They don't care about the streets or the houses. They care about the drug labs, the prostitution homes, the, the bricks and the yayo and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and the marijuana, all that stuff that was hiding in the houses because there right. were stash houses and cops never knew about it. That's why gang members will take over neighborhoods. You know, and a lot of people didn't know that. They just thought it was about a color in the neighborhood. It wasn't. Having that said, I remember he came to my house once. He was like, hey, you know, your family told me that you're hungry. And I told him, yeah, I'm very hungry. What do you eat? I remember our fridges used to be empty. There'll be a gallon of milk here and there and bread and cheese. And it would just, just go bad. And I would go to the fridge. I won't even ask my mom for food, being afraid that I was going to make her upset. I would pick the, the molded parts of the bread mm -hmm. and put cheese mm -hmm. and eat that. Or I'll pick the wrong parts of the brick of cheese and just mm -hmm. bite it. Sometimes we didn't have food and I would just drink water and water trying to get full. And it was a temporary full, but it only made me feel worse. Like when you're so hungry and right. I didn't know what to do in the cafeterias, ladies will pack up like two extra lunches on the weekends because they knew that I didn't really eat yeah. over the weekend. And I didn't know about social workers and uh, therapists and asking for help at that time. It was right. just, oh, this is normal, right? I didn't ask questions. I didn't stick around to see other kids, parents or anything like that. I'll just go home. So with that being said, he bring me groceries. That's all he would do mm -hmm. the first two, three visits. And then he'll invite me over to the hood. And he says, you know, you can have family. Mm. You can be family. You tell a kid like me at 12 years old, 13 years old, mm -hmm. that I can be family. 
that I can say I love you and hear it back, I fell in love. Yeah. And I remember going over there, excuse me, um, and feeling like I was home. Mm. I would feel like I had brothers, sisters, you know, um, I would feel like I belong there. Mm -hmm. And that's all I wanted to do and all I ever wanted to be. And, and we would eat enchiladas and he would buy burgers, pizzas. And I'm like, man, man, we got money, you know, not knowing the truth, you know, that that lies beneath that. Right. Right. And he won me over just like that. But having that said, that's all I wanted to be. After school, I'll go, I'll, I'll go to the hood and just stay there. My mom sometimes won't even know that I was at home because she was coming, stumbling, go to sleep, wake up and right. go to work. I would get up by myself with an alarm clock, get ready and go to school and come back, come home. And my mom, you know, trusted that I was doing that in times. She would freak out not knowing where I was and I would come home and she'll go looking for me and, you know, and then she'll reach out, you know, to my tia or whoever else, you know, which, which not blood, just friends, you know, because right. of friendship. We came to Tucson and they'll be like, oh, he's over here. As I got older, I started being involved more within the gang, you know, the gang affiliated members. And I would see hood fights in the park there. I'll be a part of those hood fights where opposite gangs will meet up. No guns allowed. We're going to fight this like men's, right? There'll be, there'll be people with chains, with baseball bats. And, mm. you know, I would uh, see a lot of things, backpacks going back and forth, coming in and out of houses as I, as I go to school or as the other, uh, uh, other, other thugs would, we know would go or whatever, you know, transporting things. I, right. I would witness these things and, and other stuff. And I thought that, all right, this is how you make a living as a grown adult, you know, and they would say, you know what? You don't have to work. No, no full-time job. You don't have to go to school. We make more money than doctors. We make more money yet. It was all coming with the price. Right. I just began to store all my riches here on earth money. And I made so much money to not see it now and, <laughs> and drugs and alcohol. And I would get homeless people to go and buy alcohol for me and, and the other hood members as well. And they will come out and not give us our money back. So we would jump them, beat them to a pulp and, and take our money back and, and take their money and just go to some abandoned complex and just just begin to get high, you know, begin to drink. And I was looking for an answer my whole life to never really understand how I can come to a point to understand that there's a way out, like the Bible says. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't talked about love or God. I never had kisses. I never had hugs. I'll get beat so hard. I would take, they'll be taken to Mexico because there's bruises, right. um, bad bruises. And I would stay in Mexico. That's what my mom would tell, you know, my sisters, you know, from my, my mom's side and in the school that I was over there for vacation because blah, blah, blah. Little did they know I was all bruised up. Uh -huh. I came back to United States to be silent. Mexican traditional family, no? You keep your mouth shut. You don't say nothing. This is family. Everyone has issues. Right. You go to school. You come back home. You do your chores. You do your homework. You mop. You sweep. You do your bed. You do my bed. You massage my feet when my feet and my legs hurt. You do what you're told. Or you're a bad kid. And bad kids go to hell. So I knew about hell. Uh -huh. But not heaven. Not God. Mom reached out to a church of a youth pastor. And he would go to my house and pick me up. I'll be drunk. I'll be high. And he'll take me. Never once did he accuse me or, or condemn me. Mm -hmm. He just took me as I was. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started hearing about Jesus, you know, 
15-ish, right? 16-ish. Right. I told them that I was pushing a lot of things that I shouldn't have, enslaving people to addiction and a lot of gang-affiliated crime and and things, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, that, that I don't want to be a part of. And he said, well, we're going to pray. I'll pick you up. And I started to disappear from the church, not going to youth groups. And he found out. I don't know if he must have been a super investigator or something. <laughs> Because one day he showed up at the old G's house at the, in the hood, you know, at my dad's house right. asking for me. And then the homies, all the thugs will come up and be like, what do you want? You know, he's with us, homie, and, and things like that. And, and they'll be like, hey, this guy's asking for you. And he'll be like, hey, God bless you. I'm just here to take him to church. You don't want to go to church, homie. You want to die? It's okay. He comes for me. And I would, even though I was really rebellious and stuck in the criminal life, I was obedient and submissive to my elders, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one thing my mom taught me, you know, you respect your elders. Right. It's okay. He's here for me. My mom sent him or something. And I would go and get in the car. He'd be like, what are you thinking hanging out with those guys? You know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, well, at least I have family. That's my dad. Those are my brothers. No, they're not. And just telling me things, right? The whole way to church would be like, look, I just love you. And I want you to live, to have kids and be married and be a man of God. And like, whatever, let's go to church. You want me to come, didn't you? I'll go. I got my fair share of warnings through God's messenger, right? This youth pastor. Mm. And we would have barbecues at his house, you know, youth little sessions at his house. And I just didn't want nothing to do with it because God wants to see me suffer because I'm weak. He doesn't help me. I just kept going with the gang life. At 16, I had my daughter. I had my daughter and having this girl, this little, my little princess, my oldest, right? Out of all my seven Parson kids, right? Looking at her, I remember, I saw the picture of the first time I held her and I looked at her. It just made me fall in love. And I said, I can't live this life no more. Oh. I remember that um, I looked at her and a lot of like the experience that the women in the hood, right, in the gang would would, would, would have with the men, yeah. I would think of my daughter, yeah. like 18, 20, 19 years old. And I would say, no, no, I do not want that to be my baby girl. And, and I didn't want nothing to do with that. Mm. So I told the OG and I was like, I, I can't do this no more. You know, I appreciate you, familia. I love you, but I can't do this no more. He said, you know, carnal, that the only way to get out of here is a casket. Mm. When we beat you to a pulp, you were explained that your family now, you're going to quit on us. And I was like, no, I just, I want to have that eight to five. You said that we don't have to do. I want to go eat like all these, all these people do outside, sit outside, drink coffee, whatever, you know, like you don't even like coffee, homie. And I was like, I know, but look at them. They're not looking over their shoulders. They, 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 they ain't carrying a strap trying to, trying to see who, who's going to shoot them. So they got to shoot back. Right. They're smiling. People look at them and they wave. I told them, people look at me, Apa, and they're disgusted. Like if I'm some piece of trash little thug, and I am, I told them, I'm a piece of trash. Mm. I want to be the dad that this girl needs because I never had a dad. Well, what am I? And it was just an argument, right? right. And I was like, look, please, I just want to go. I want to work. He said, no. So I just kind of shut my mouth and argue much with them. Okay. My daughter wasn't with me at that time. Te veo mañana. Te veo mañana. I'll see you tomorrow. And I went and gave all the homies a hug. That was my mistake. I love you. And and as I walked out the door, he was looking at me, right? I didn't leave so nonchalant. It was pretty much a goodbye. Right. But I was young and dumb. And 
Y yo decía, hey, ¿no te acuerdas quién te dio de comer? No se te olvide. Y yo decía, don't you remember who gave you something to eat? Don't forget it. This is familia. And I was like, no, papá, sí me acuerdo, and I'm very grateful. I wish I could pay you really, like, everything back. You still can. You got debt. And that's when I found out that that was in love. He was raising a soldier. Wow. I left. I got into my 88 Cutlass Oldsmobile Sierra, <laughs> right? And they came out. They got in their car. Oh, they're probably going to go to the store. I drove out of the hood. They come after, you know, drive behind me. And I, we're all going the same way to get to the freeway. Wow. But I made a left turn in another area that goes by a school, right? It goes all the way around the school. And then I have to come back this way just to see. There they go. And I knew what was going to happen. Mm. I stepped on the gas and I was panicking. I knew there was two lieutenants coming after me, which is what we call the enforcers. I had a similar role. I was like a jack of all trades, right? Because I was a young one, so they utilized me for a lot because no one would suspect. And the enforcers, you see one of them, they're either going to collect, they're going to kill you, or they're going to beat you to a pulp with the warning. I knew I was going to die. So I hit it, and I was just panicking, you know, and, 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 I drove neighborhood in the neighborhood street after street trying to lose them and I hit a cul-de-sac, oh. <clears throat> you know, a dead end. Oh. They kind of come, I was like coming, turning to turn and they come, I jump out of the car. When I jump out of the car, I start running. They start running and they, they, they pretty much, they flank me. And I was like, look, I just want to live. I just want to be a dad. I just want to love my daughter. I just, I want to, I want to give what I never had to my child. Sorry, carnal, pero. We got to do what we got to do, homie. We need every single soldier. We're family. We don't leave each other for dead. Mm. I took a beating. One of them took out a knife. I got stabbed here in between the ribs. Glory to God, my lungs, nothing in touch. It was, it was a stiletto, right? You've seen the stilettos, yeah. right? And he just, like, come on, let's go, do it. You know, too many people here. And he just took one shank, boom. And I felt like any other person that gets stabbed, if it was a sharp pain, I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was paralyzed. Um, every single movement hurt and the cartilage in between the ribs, I believe in the, in the meat, it lodged in between them in between there. Mm. And in that area, you know, when we carried knives, we carried knives that either had like, you know, the holes in the center or the grooves, So it can just be like butter in and out, mm. but the stilettos are not like that. So it got stuck in there. He was like, let's go. And I remember I was screaming, fighting, trying to, you know, but I could barely move and it was excruciating and it came to a point where he just put his foot on my rib and yanked it out, ran, jumped in the, in the car, took off, and I was laying there. I was trying to get up and I couldn't. I would hear like doors closing and opening, but yet no one ran to me. They were afraid. I laid there and I was bleeding. I was bleeding out. And it's real talk how people say when you die, it's like a, a black dark hole and then life and that's it. Like the Looney Tunes, remember back in the old days, the whole, you know, all dark. That's exactly how it went down. And I remember laying there and I was like, just laying there trying to get up and I couldn't. I felt like I was gonna pass out, like the life was being sucked out of my body. And, and I was already laying there looking at, you know, to the sky and to the heavens. And I was like, God, if you really are good, if you really care about me, if you love me, please save my life. Mm. I wanna be the father my daughter never had. And if you do this, I will live for you. I woke up in the hospital and they go and they run, they, you know, they knock on the doctor's office door and, you know, he's awake and he comes back and the doctor's like running and he goes, Paul, he goes, yes. And he goes, we don't understand how you just 
woke up, you lost so much blood mm -hmm. that you should not be breathing right now. You should be dead. When you came here, you lost so much blood that your heart should not been able to function. Wow. Your brain, you should have been, you should have been a vegetable. Long story short, glory to God, I, I, I left the, the hospital and I started living for God. I started trying to find an answer. I went to a Catholic church, a couple other churches and found no peace. So I ended up going back to that church that I remember, because it's still there. I remember the street when I was a kid that the pastor used to come and pretty much yank me out of the, out of the trap houses. It was a Christian. I remember what denomination, I think it was a Baptist church. And I started hearing about Jesus. And then later on, I got a good job at a store before it was cricket. It was called Jabber Jab Mobile, right? I started selling phones and that's when I started to have structure. And I would miss church. I would not go for a little bit. You know, I'll just be the, the typical bench warmer, right? I'll go and sit down and listen, the spectator, go when things go wrong, do what I want to do and just repent Sunday because God's a God of love, not knowing that we cannot mock God right. in their lifestyle. And my daughter starting to like learn and listen and talk. And I was proud of myself. And I remember uh, that I went to the Tucson Mall to this store called Hollister. I used to shave my head bald. <laughs> Plain white tee, whatever, pro club with my Dickies and my Cortez, right? That was my, my, my style, I just shit my head. And I walked in there and I told this girl that was walking around, you know, I want to look like that homie right there. She looked at that and she looked at me and she looked at the, you know, the preppy boy up there and then she looked at me like him. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I was like the Ken to the Barbie. She'll have outfits for me and take me to the dressing room. And man, I never had a tighter wedgie than those times. And and, and I was like, is this normal, right? And and she's like, yeah, this is how they dress. And I was like, am I going to get a discount? Why? Because these pants are ripped, bro. And they're like, no, that's the style. And and I remember that I walked out and how, you know, with my daughter. And I remember this man with this family walking by and he smiled at me mm -hmm. and he did this. And I was like this. And then I learned from him, this means like, hi, no. or hi, this is more like intimidating. So I started doing this instead. And I did this. And instead of being like, what are you looking at, homie? What? You you want a picture? And just getting aggressive, I just, this is what I asked for. And things started coming into place. Things started happening. And the Lord started to reveal His way and His love and His mercy. And He took me through uh, a You Are Worthy boot camp, right? Because the first thing when I started knowing about God is remembering that I'm so unworthy to even sit in this church. Right. So God taught me self-worth and respect. And, and that's literally the deal I made with God. And I'm so happy that God's a man of that his word. He's awesome. he's a man's man. Right? He's a man of his word and now I'm here. You are worthy boot camp. I love that. Paul, you are amazing. You are a walking miracle that you're still here. I know life has been rough, but God has rescued you. So uh, thank you, my friend. Thank you for fighting the fight and getting out of there. So to God be the glory. But thank you for sharing your story. I'm so excited for you, your lovely daughter. Um, I pray that everybody listening will be unbelievably inspired. You are amazing. And until next week, everybody, please be on the lookout for the incredible hand of God. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for your time. Always, I say thank you for joining me. It has been a pleasure to hear testimony shared this week, and we will be back next week for another incredible life story. 
Please check out my website, enoughasyouare.com. You can find all my books and all of my writings there. I appreciate again your time. I pray that God will be with you. And until next week, be on the lookout for the hand of God. Go ahead, Dave. Play us out.